Church, good morning. It is a joy to be gathered in Jesus' name with you today. Um, if you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles as we look to God's Word and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm grateful to be able to preach this morning uh, as Chad and his family have been able to uh, enjoy some, some just well-deserved time away on a quick trip as they have some, some repairs going on at their home. So uh, keep, keep them uh, in your prayers. I know that they miss you this morning. Uh, and I'd ask you to continue to pray as well for the continued hurricane relief efforts that are going on in our community and specifically through the church. Uh, I know that Hurricane Ida has impacted each one of you kind of in, in varying ways and varying degrees, but I've been really thankful to see the way that the Lord has worked through you, through our church, um, to, to have a desire to meet physical needs and the ability to actually go out and do it. Uh, yesterday, we sent out four separate teams. There's about 20 people total, and we went to homes in New Orleans, River Ridge, Destrehan, and Reserve, uh, the minister in Jesus' name. And over the past few weeks, we've done some mud outs and homes and at different churches. We've done some debris removals, just some basic things to help people kind of get back on their feet. And it has been a joy to work with you to see that happen. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to see what's going to continue to go with that. So just real quick, if you'd like to serve, there's a link on our website. You can get plugged in every Saturday through November 20th. We're going to be out uh, serving. And as we've gone out to show this bold compassion to people following the storm, we've also sought to pair it with bold proclamation of the gospel. And it's been another joy just to see and to hear of some of you that have been able to go and as you've lended a helping hand to also offer some encouragement to the victims of the storm and to share the gospel with people that need it desperately. So I'm thankful for you, for your love, for your compassion and your proclamation of the gospel. Because the reason that we do all of this, the reason that we're here today is because of the gospel of Jesus. So when we go, it's not just so that we can bring a sense of restoration back to our community and try to return things to normal, but we're trying to bring true restoration to people's lives in Jesus and invite them to return to him in repentance. And so today we're going to start a new sermon series kind of looking at what it is to make disciples and how we do that as a local church. So today as we go to 2 Corinthians, your Bible might have just fallen open to that book because that's where we've been the past few weeks. We're going to go to the first part of the book today in chapter 2 though and look at what it means to make disciples on a personal level. As a church we want to do that personally, locally, and globally and so today we're going to look at what it means to make disciples personally. A little background uh, to this letter as we open up. Paul opens and he's talking to uh, the Corinthians and he opens up the letter and, talk, and he talks about the God of comfort as he's faced many afflictions in his gospel ministry. He talks about a specific thing that happened in Asia. You look at chapter 1, verse 8, he says that he even despaired of life itself. Because Paul, as an apostle, was sharing the gospel throughout the world, but he faced immense hardship as he did it. And he received the sentence of death for his faithfulness to the Lord, but his hope was in God. And he clung to that message as he went throughout the world. And what we see today is a hope that we have as well, that we can share in with Paul in the gospel message. So as we read, would you stand as you're able in honor of God and his word as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession, and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. 
For to God we are the fragrance of Christ, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate for these things? For we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. Would you pray with me? Father, we give thanks to you today or for the one that leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. And Lord, through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. God, I pray that you would just impress upon our hearts um, this realization that wherever we go, we carry the gospel with us. Lord, we recognize that you are able to complete your work in your own power without us. And yet, Lord, you in your grace have given us this ministry to bring the gospel to the nation. So Lord, I pray that as we think about how we do this in our personal lives, that you'd be with us as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as we examine this text today, there are three truths about our call to go and make disciples that really come to the fore. And the first is this, we carry the gospel wherever we go. The theme of the gospel permeates this entire passage, these few verses that we're looking at this morning. It's something that we as individual believers seek to be, voted, to be devoted to, something as a church we want to be devoted to as well. So as we talk about the gospel, let's just ask this morning, what is it? What is the gospel? Well, simply the gospel is the good news of the completed work of Jesus Christ. As, as we've used the three circles over uh, the past few weeks, that really gives us a picture of what the gospel truly is. Because we need good news in Jesus, because as we look around the world and we look outside of us, we see evidence of brokenness everywhere. And something within everyone, whether you're a believer or not, there's something within each of us that recognizes that things are not as they should be. We see the effects of hurricanes. We see painful events in Afghanistan and other places around our world. We see violence and deception. And we know that something within us just tells us things are not as they should be. And the Bible recognizes this as well, that there is brokenness in our world, but the Bible will take it a step further. It tells us that the same brokenness that we see outside of ourselves is actually within us as well. Pride, lust, jealousy, and all types of evil spring up even from our own hearts. So not only is the world broken, but we're broken too. And we know this is broken because it's not part of God's good design. He created everything that we see and said it was good. He created humanity and said it was very good. But in our sin, we've turned from him and said, nope, I'm going to go my own way. And in this state, we have no hope because it's the, wage, the wages of sin. What we get in return for our sin is death. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son Jesus for our sake. Jesus came to the earth to live as one of us, yet he was not broken as we are. He lived without sin and he was the son of God. So when we look to Jesus, we see the image of God, the father. And yet for our sake, he was betrayed and he was crucified and he died the death that we deserved for our sins. He was then buried, but he rose again. His body did not see decay. On the third day, he was resurrected. And so now in him, we have forgiveness of sins and eternal life as well. So Jesus now invites us to turn from our sin and return and follow him, to put our faith in him so that now in Christ we can grow back into God's design. And so this is the good news of the gospel. This is the message that is all in this passage that we're looking at in 2 Corinthians. And it's this 
type of news that, that's glorious and majestic. It's the type of news that is profound to the point that scholars throughout the ages have attempted to study it in its depths. And yet it's simple enough that people like you and me, any man, woman, or child can accept it in its truth. And so this is the truth that we're talking about, the good news of Jesus Christ today. And we see in this passage that we as believers carry this good news. We carry the gospel wherever we go. And this is a reminder that it seems we need on a consistent basis. Like the message of the gospel is good news that changes lives and, and transforms people. And it's filled with glory. And, and I mean, we, we continue to look in the, in the book of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 4, where Paul says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And later on in chapter 8, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might became, become rich. And so we see this amazing story that should shape everything that we are. Yet as believers, we are prone to sometimes forget the power of the gospel. Or we're prone to fondly think on this truth, but not allow it to shape the way that we live or not let it shape the way that we interact with others, and not let it set our calendars, and not let it spread to every part of who we are. And we're prone to forget this universal call within the church to make disciples and to spread the gospel. So the call for us today, FBNO, from the Word of God, from, from the get-go, is that you and me, we carry the gospel wherever we go. Now, I love the way that this passage is written. If you look at verse 14, let's read that again. But thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. That phrase right there, triumphal procession, just seems to jump off the page. Kind of some of the words that are used there only used one other time in the New Testament. And so as Paul is writing, his first, believe, first hearers would probably have known what he's talking about. I had to do a little digging to see what is this triumphal procession. And Paul gets this imagery from a Roman triumph. Corinth was a Roman colony, so people would have understood what he was talking about. But the Roman triumph was this military festival, and it was majestic. It was glorious, and it was something to behold, really for a few reasons. First, there were only like a set of specific circumstances that would have had to all come into place for a Roman triumph to happen. The military leader would have had to have just a sweeping victory uh, on the battlefield. He would have had to do it in such a way that Rome would now... Uh, subjugate that land, and that would become part uh, of their territory. Second, then the, the festival itself, it was amazing because the entire city pretty much was shut down for a day. So everyone in the royal city, the whole population would scatter the streets, and they'd be partying because of this triumph. And then third, the triumphator, the, this person that led the military in this victory, would be clothed completely in purple. His face would be painted red, and he'd be crowned with a laurel leaf crown. And so then this individual would be paraded around the city, and this Roman crew would be led by a display of the conquered region. Sometimes even like indigenous animals would be brought to show the Romans like what they had just acquired. In addition, the citizens of the captured territory would be subject, subjected so that now they were in the parade as well, paraded through the city. These captives would be mocked, and sometimes they would even spread fragrances along the road as they would go, and sometimes many of them would be killed at the very end. But then the triumphator's family would be included as well. This would be really important for them, and then the army would be uh, walking through the streets as well. And so it was a party for Rome. Now, I know that many of you are probably thinking this pales in comparison to Mardi Gras, but it's a big deal. It was a big deal in their day. 
And all of this was meant to bring out the best that Rome had to celebrate the victory of this triumphator. And it's interesting that this is what Paul uses to describe the ministry of the gospel. Even in the same letter, he talks about the difficulties that he had as a minister of the gospel, and yet he still says that he is led by Christ in a triumphal procession. Even though in chapter 11, he says, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things. There's a daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. So how can Paul, after he says all this, still say that he walks in a triumph with Christ? This here is how the triumph is manifested for, for Paul. Like, so we, what we see in Paul's use of this statement is not that we'll have a triumph in this life according to the triumphs of the world. However, there are sometimes that we do seek a triumph according to the world. Even the disciples, they wanted this when they walked with Jesus. They wanted an earthly triumph. Even in Acts chapter 1, where we were at earlier, we read in verse 8. In verse 6, the disciples are asking kind of like their last question to Jesus. And their question is, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? They still wanted an earthly triumph. But sometimes we want one as well. When we read passages like Paul's, it's hard for us to, to grapple with, right? When we see the hardship in this ministry. Facing hardship because of our faithfulness is not easy. We're prone to associating faithfulness. We're not prone to associate faithfulness with suffering, right? We are prone to think that maybe if the church has money in the bank, then we're being faithful. Or we're prone to think that if we have favor with people, then that means that we're being faithful. We're prone to think that if our programs are successful, then that means that we are faithful. But know that being faithful stewards of money is a good thing. And having favor with people is a good thing and successful programs are good. But when those things become the final litmus test for if we're being faithful and obedient to God or not, we'll likely find ourselves desiring an earthly triumph, not Christ's triumphal procession. Because tri Christ's triumphal procession is all about the gospel. The litmus test for our faithfulness is all about the gospel. For Paul, his concern was about the gospel, not his own wel welfare. For us, our chief concern is the gospel of Christ, for he is the one leading us in triumphal procession. People have studied this and kind of offer multiple views for like how we're to acknowledge our part in this triumphal procession. Sometimes we might think that we are uh, the, the, the army that's walking behind the triumphator. Maybe we think we're the, the people looking onto this parade. Maybe we're the family members. But really at what Paul is getting at in this imagery of a triumph, we are captives under Christ. If you're reading the translation like the New Inter International Version, it even says that Christ leads us as captives in triumphal procession. For when we are in sin, we're an enemy to God. That's what the Bible tells us, an enemy. Sometimes we might think that we're just like an awkward family member to God, like he just kind of doesn't want to look. No, we are an enemy to God, according to the Bible. Yet the Bible gives us good news that we are saved by the death of, of Jesus. And in his death and resurrection, he's victorious over our sin. And we submit to him and his love. And so in this sense, we have been taken captive by Christ. And in that way, we walk in triumphal procession with him. 
And he does not celebrate this earthly triumph. We're not taken captive by Christ as those that are submitting to bondage, but we have freedom in this type of captivity in Christ. Even we are able to share in Christ's victory through his death and his resurrection. And so it is with this victory that we walk in every place, walk everywhere we go in Christ's triumphal procession, and every place spreading the aroma of the knowledge of Christ. So if we follow that metaphor that Paul is giving us, remember that the prisoners would actually spread at some, some points, they would spread fragrances as they walk. So people would smell that specific aroma and bring to mind the victory of the triumphator. And so this is what we do as believers in Christ that have been sent by him. As we are taken captive by Christ, as he puts sin to death in us, and as we live in him, we spread the aroma of the knowledge of Christ everywhere we go. And Paul is clear that this is not just an aroma that's spread by his behavior. Though there's much to be said by the behavior of one that has been taken captive by Christ, it is through Paul's message that the aroma of the knowledge of Christ is spread. If you look back at verse 12 in chapter 2, Paul is telling us that the, the center of everything that he's talking about as he goes forward is that he is preaching the gospel of Christ. We're not spreading a, a, an aroma simply through our bold compassion, that we need bold compassion in Jesus' name. But we spread this aroma through bold proclamation of the gospel. And this means for us that we have a call to proclaim the gospel everywhere we go. As we walk, we are the aroma of Christ in every place. So, believer, personal question for you this morning. What do you smell like? Do you spread the aroma of, of the knowledge of Christ everywhere you go? Is the good news of Jesus on your lips in every place? Do you dwell on it often so it's on your mind when you speak to others? I hope you see how great a task this is. I hope it's convicting you as it's convicted me because this is not just a call to, to go to other parts of the world, other parts of the country to make disciples, but this is actually a call to make disciples even in the mundane, even in the day-to-day tasks. As you go to work, when you walk in your office, or you, you go to the shop, make disciples. As you go to school and you sit down in your seat in the classroom, as you walk through the hallways, and you sit down to lunch, make disciples. When you go to the doctor, you sit down at the barber, you go to the gym, go to the grocery store. On a random Tuesday, you are called to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Christ in every place and make disciples in your personal walk. So right off the bat, this is the truth that we see. We carry the gospel wherever we go. The second truth we see is this. We carry the gospel as faithful witnesses. Look at verse 15 and 16. Let's read that again. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate for these things? This passage, again, goes to these words talking about aromas or fragrances. Probably in your translation, there's a different word in verse 14 than there is here. And in the Greek, there are two separate words that are being used. In the previous verse, it talked about an aroma that's spreading kind of horizontally, right? An aroma that's being spread to other people, to those around us. In this verse, we see that it, this, this smell also extends vertically to God. This, the word in this verse is used to speak of a fragrant offering. In the Old Testament, specific burnt offerings were given as a pleasant aroma to the Lord that were pleasing to God. So when we faithfully spread the gospel to the world, we ourselves are pouring out a sacrifice, a fragrance to God himself. And Paul speaks in this way. Because sharing the gospel and being faithful to that ministry was not easy. For him, in his context, he experienced great persecution. And he was in prison. He was beaten. He was humiliated. And ultimately, he died for his faith, as many others have. 
but he also experienced things that we may experience as well in difficulty. Paul was met with opposition to the gospel message. He was met with people who did not want to give their lives to Jesus. And for him, he met people that would prefer that Christianity simply die out. He's met with people that wanted to preach a type of gospel that really was no gospel at all with false teaching opposed to his ministry. And for us, we face similar opposition even in our context. As believers, we have to guard against false teaching. As faithful witnesses, we'll experience people that are against Christianity, people that might prefer just kind of fade away into the background. As evangelists, we'll meet people that simply just don't really care to hear about the gospel. And we'll meet people, even when we're faithful, to go through every step of the three circles. They're just going to say no when we talk to them. And with this knowledge, I would guess that many of you are like me in this regard. Sometimes starting a conversation that's gospel-centered sometimes just feels awkward, right? Like we are sometimes just hyper aware of all of the possible types of rejection when we talk about our faith. We fear rejection because our coworkers or classmates, they see us every day, and if they reject us, we're going to have to see them again tomorrow. Same is true for our family. We don't want to change the nature of a relationship based on this really important topic. And so we don't naturally drift towards rejection, and the way it works in our minds, we don't naturally drift towards evangelism. But believer, let me encourage you with two things. The first, you're probably more creative than you think. Here's what I mean. In my experience, I've created vast worlds in my mind where everyone, every single person that I meet just hates me, right? Like they just want to reject everything that I have. And so everyone in my mind is hostile to the gospel. Yet in reality, this has not been my experience. Recently, I began walking through City Park on Thursday afternoons with a, a, a dear friend of mine, simply asking people if we could pray for them and share good news in our lives. And there's definitely been people that have just said no and kind of went along their way, but there have been many that have been willing to talk with us. And so I'm a lot more creative than I thought it was because I create all these worlds where I'm simply rejected. That's not with reality. The second is rejection and even suffering is guaranteed, but not the end. Facing troubles because of a faithfulness to God is not something we will desire, but we don't suffer without hope. If you look in 2 Corinthians 1 and 2, you'll see how our God comforts us in the midst of affliction, even through others within the church. So be encouraged that you will not be alone when you face rejection with the gospel. And yet Paul is not saying that the ministry of spreading the gospel is just this horizontal effort, nor is he saying that it's a quick process Really, it can be a long process to be faithful to the, the, the message of the gospel, but also it is a vertical act as well. Even our obedience in sharing the gospel as a continual process is a fragrant offering to God himself. Look at verse 15 again. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ. So believer, be encouraged today. The simple yet profound proclamation of the good news of Jesus is pleasing to God himself, no matter what the reception is by the hearer. When we faithfully proclaim the gospel, we are offering ourselves as an offering to God. But Paul is quick to clarify again that we still are fra a fragrance to people, specifically to two groups. One, those that are being saved and to those that are, being, or that are perishing. As the message of Christ brings the knowledge of him to people, for some this may bring the knowledge of death. And the Bible is very clear about our state apart from Christ. As we discuss, as we go through the three circles, the Bible speaks in opposing terms. Either we're in the light or we're in darkness. There's the old self and the new self. We're dead 
or real lives. So when we bring the message of the gospel, there is a realization for some that they are dead. Ephesians 2 reminds us of this truth by simply telling us that we, left to ourselves apart from Christ, again, are dead, not alive. In other passages, we see that we're in darkness and not in the light. And so as wonderful as the gospel is, there also comes a sobering fact and a somber warning. The fact is this, we've sinned against the holy God, and this in itself, by itself, is not good news for us. The implications are vast, and in this state, we have no hope. And the warning is this, those that do not turn from their wicked ways to God will not know God. And so as we read this, there might be a tendency for some of us to read it and think that the rejection of the gospel is what leads to death. There's a line of thinking that one is dead when they hear the gospel and they respond with no. But that's not what the Bible is telling us. As some pastors have put it, if we are dead because we hear the gospel and then we say no, then the best thing for us to do as believers is not share the gospel. But if rejecting the gospel leads to death, we spare people from the opportunity to say no. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible tells us that we are dead even before we hear the gospel because we're dead in our sin. Each and every one of us one of us are apart from Christ. But in Christ alone, there is life. For, we, for in him, we carry a message of life that leads to life. In him, when the Spirit of God moves a person to accept the gift of God, eternal life springs forth. So to some, faithfully proclaiming the gospel will be the smell of death. But to others, it will be the refreshing scent of life. And to God, it is a fragrant offering to him. So be faithful now. Be a faithful witness of simply proclaiming the gospel, knowing that despite the reception, it is an offering to God when we faithfully proclaim the good news of Jesus wherever we go. The third and the final truth that we see from this passage today is that we do not speak from or for ourselves, but from and before God. Look at verse 17 with me. For we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. Paul is writing to the Corinthians partially to remind them of of his own authority as an apostle, to defend himself as a minister of the gospel. Even though some people had spoken against him because he faced so much affliction, he was saying and and arguing that he, he did have authority because he carried the gospel with him. And Paul is speaking to our, to our message and the way that we minister, the way that we do what we do, and he's speaking to our motivation of why we proclaim the gospel. In terms of motivation, Paul reminds us that we do not proclaim the gospel for our own personal gain. We do not market the word of God for profit like so many, as he says. Now, in the context of the rest of this letter, it's hard to think of proclaiming the gospel for our gain, right? When you look and see all the affliction that Paul went through, it's hard to imagine how, how can you say that you're proclaiming the gospel for your gain? Now, for some in our context, this might mean a monetary thing where they get money for preaching. But for others, and I would say for the majority, we can fall into this when we allow pride to seep into our proclamation of the gospel and think that I'm good because I share the gospel or thinking that I deserve something because I am faithful to share the gospel. But Paul's reminder to us is that we do not share the gospel for ourselves. We don't market this message for profit, but we speak with sincerity, speak with a sincere heart in Christ. This does not mean we can't have a good feeling when, this, when we share the gospel, but when we do that just for the feeling, we're not being faithful. We share the gospel as faithful messengers sincerely out of a heart that has a burden for the loss, sincerely proclaiming the gospel to them. Now, in terms of the message, Paul is saying that we speak with 
not just a sincere heart, but also a sincere message. Now, the word that Paul's using for marketing the word, some of your translations might say as peddlers or hucksters, um, it refers to a type of middleman in a business transaction. So in Paul's day, these peddlers were kind of known for maybe taking a product, kind of change it up a little bit, jack up the price and sell it to somebody. So they benefited as being the middleman. Uh, giving out to the people. A simple example that's kind of along the same lines could be seen in a classroom today, okay? I'm not going to say I'm guilty of this, but maybe I was. So say a friend needed a pencil. She said, can I have a pencil? I say, you can have this mechanical pencil for some Doritos. And so I pass it and I get Doritos. So that's great. But then she starts clicking and she realizes there's no lead in it. I say, ah, the lead will cost you some Oreos. So then I get make, change the product and I make a little bit more off, off the deal. In a similar way, that's kind of what Paul is, is, is talking about here, that we don't take the message of the gospel and change it in a way as we present it to people. It's not a proper methodology for proclaiming the gospel, and yet sometimes we do this. I've seen a tendency even in my own heart to, to want to, to go in this direction because we are quick to want to share the love of God. We're quick to want to share the peace of God. And these things should, should just about be primary in what we share because true love is only found in Jesus Christ alone. But when we stray away from the fact that we are dead in our sins, when we stray away from the fact that we have sinned against a holy God and there's something within us that is broken, not just things on the outside. When we stray away from that fact, we have changed the message to present it to someone new. Sometimes we don't want to think about Mark chapter 7 when Jesus says, For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. And so sometimes we might change the message to fit the hearer, which is no gospel at all. And in fact, we might think that we're giving more room for people to accept life, but we're really bringing the fragrance of death. So as faithful witnesses of the gospel, we lay the true story of the gospel bare, that we are broken we have turned against God's design, and yet Jesus has come for our sake. And so the fragrance of life in Christ will confront us where we are. It tells us that we are sinners before God. We have chosen our own way. There's none that does good, yet the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus alone. So a truly sincere message in Christ presents the full gospel. And in this way, we serve from God and before God. We serve faithfully as the message that God has given us, and we serve faithfully by doing it as an act of worship to him. We don't create a message to present our own, on our own, but we take from the word, from what God has shown us in the Bible. And we don't do this for our own benefit, but before God as an act of worship, a pleasing fragrance for his glory. And so believer, share the gospel as something that is from God and before God. Be a faithful witness and simply proclaim the gospel as an act of worship. And remember that you carry the gospel wherever you go. And in Christ, you walk in triumphal procession with him. So some of you might be thinking that this, this is wonderful, but, but where do I start? There's kind of three points that we can think about as we want to start making disciples personally. First, preach the gospel to yourself daily. As Luther said, the first step in being a faithful witness for Christ is to immerse yourself in the word, reminding yourself of the truth of the gospel on a daily basis. Preach the word to yourself. We need to remember and reflect on our state when we were in sin. We need to remember that and reflect on it. We need to worship and thank God for Christ's death and resurrection. And we need to dwell on the life that we now have in him. 
This means that we need to be in the Word. So be looking at the Scriptures, not just as a book that the church says you should read, but as something that guides our life, something that um, has shown us God. And so preach the gospel to yourself daily. The second, you need to go to God in prayer. Verse 16, Paul asks, who is adequate for these things? The answer could, could simply be no one apart from the power of God. If we are to be faithful witnesses, we must be people that are spirit-filled in prayer. We must seek the Lord and ask him to give us a desire to share the gospel, to make us want to do it, and to give us the actual ability to share the gospel. We need to ask him for the words to say and the people to say it too. To be faithful witnesses, we must go to God in prayer. And finally, we need to be intentional about making disciples personally. The first two points uh, are simply read your Bible and pray. But this point may seem less spiritual, but the Spirit will be with us as we do it, to be intentional about sharing the gospel. This might mean after you sit down for a time of prayer, write down the names of people you simply want to have a gospel conversation with. This may mean taking your earbuds out, taking your headphones off, so you have more of an opportunity to actually talk to people in your daily life. This may literally mean writing a weekly time on your calendar where you're going to set aside a block of time to have spiritual conversations. This might not seem spiritual, but the Spirit will be with us as we're intentional about sharing the gospel. So devote yourself to the Word and preach the gospel to yourself daily. Spend time in prayer asking for the help from God as you walk in Christ's triumphal procession and be intentional. This is how we make disciples personally. I hope you're encouraged to do that today knowing that we walk with Christ as we submit to him. We do this as an act, as a faithful witness, as one that's worshiping God, an act of our obedience, not from ourselves, but from and before God. And so as we come to a time of response, there are a few ways that we can respond to the word this morning. As we've heard the message of the gospel, there may be some of you in this room that are realizing you've never experienced Jesus in this way. You've never accepted the, the, the truth of the gospel that changes lives, that provides forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Today is the day to do it. Today is the day to accept it. I'm, I'm here at the front and I'll also be out in the foyer uh, at the end of the service. Today is the day to accept the gospel. Some of you uh, as believers may realize that you need to devote yourselves more fully to this, this commission to make disciples, not, not just in going on trips locally and globally, but in the mundane activities of the week, being devoted to sharing the gospel. And so this is a time, as we sing another song, this is time for you to spend time in prayer, asking for God to give you the will and the desire to do it and the ability to actually do it and be faithful so that we as a church might share the gospel. And then finally, you may just need to worship God. As we sing, you may just need to thank him for the good news of the gospel. Thank him for inviting you in into this ministry to be a faithful witness. So as we sing, respond to the word. As we sing, respond to the word. Let's pray and then we'll sing together. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for the gospel ministry. Lord, we thank you that you um, would lead us in triumphal procession behind Christ. Lord, that we have been taken captive by Christ, and in him there is freedom. And so, Lord, I pray that we would devote ourselves to carrying the gospel everywhere we go as a fragrant offering to you and as an aroma of life to others. Be with us as we respond in Jesus' name. Amen.